listening to the On the NBA Beat Podcast, a show packed with nuanced perspectives on the league's most important stories. Portland has three timeouts left. The Lakers have two. Bryant. To shot! LeBron James with no regard for human life! Jordan. Oh! A spectacular by Michael Jordan! And now, your hosts. Lauren Lee Chen, and the twins, Aaron and Joshua Fishman. Welcome to On the NBA Beat. I'm Aaron Fishman, and shortly I'll be joined by my co-hosts. All of us are ready to go for another team interview. This time, we're zeroing in on the Golden State Warriors. Fresh off two straight finals appearances, the Warriors currently hold the league's best record and just took down the Rockets and Spurs in consecutive days. Making history as he does, our guest, Andy Liu, from Warriors World and the Light Years podcast, will be appearing on his guest-leading fourth on the NBA Beat episode. Most notably, we'll be discussing Golden State's pursuit of a second championship in three years, who could most realistically prevent that from happening, and what, if anything, can be taken away from the Warriors' post-Kevin Durant injury slide. I know most of you came here to hear Andy wax poetic about the league's best team, so I'll close the intro here and let him do just that. Hey, Andy. How's it going? Pretty good. Back again. (laughs) Thanks for having me on, guys. How you doing? It's always fun talking with you. It's always fun talking about this team. That game at San Antonio was crazy. Down 15-0, 23-3. They didn't panic. Managed to win by double digits. I think resilience would be a huge understatement. You used the phrase cocky as hell to describe them last year. What would you call that? What is that? That they can just always come up with these wins in improbable ways? Yeah, so the championship year is a little bit different from last year and a little bit different from this year. But the comparison that I'm making is that so the championship year in 2014 to 15, they were the team that essentially knew they were good, but they really, like, didn't know whether they could win a championship or not. Like, they had that type of resilience. They had, um, I mean, they found out they had that championship quality, right? But every time they got on the court, they played like they didn't know, and they had to prove it to um, themselves. They had to prove it to the opponents. They had to prove it to the fans. And they had this type of, like, focus in doing that. And that team was the best defense in the league, um, by far. Best offense. And... They played mistake-free basketball and was focused in terms of like listening to a coach or anything like that, right? And they won a title. Last year's team had that type of same confidence, um, but they weren't really – they never had to prove anything to people. A lot of people doubted them after they won, but their way of being cocky was just not winning games to prove a point to the opponents, but winning games just to embarrass people, just just being like, you know what, screw you guys. Like, you guys didn't think we would deserve a championship, so we're just going to screw around here and do what we can and still beat you. Like, win 24 in a row, win 73, right? And still win a title despite you guys saying that we can't hoop or not a championship team, right? That brought them all the way. They ended up not winning anyway, right? So this year is a little bit different. I think they're more like that 2014-2015 team because their defense now, ever since KD was out, has been the best in the league by far. And their offense has been good, but it's slowly reverting back to the form to where they kind of rely on Steph Curry last year and the year before that. And then also the play where they rely on the bench to keep the team afloat or even 
uh, someone like David West or Iguodala. Like, Iguodala hasn't looked as good, honestly, since that 2015 season. Like, I don't know what he's injecting into his system, but it's getting ridiculous um, the way he's playing in the last couple of weeks. So, so I, I think that that's the type of uh, focus and the type of uh, – they came into this game because they've lost to the Spurs twice already. I mean, one didn't count, right? Um, but they lost to him uh, in the first game of the season. And so there's just still this thing about the Spurs where it kind of feels like they're still an underdog to those guys. And, and the thing about the Spurs is they'll never talk trash to the Warriors. So the Warriors don't have anything to piss themselves on about, about these guys. So they've got to go out here and, and engineer that type of thinking uh, like they did a couple of years ago. I want to talk about the overreaction in my mind to the Durant injury. They went two and five, including that game at Washington. And a lot of people were ready to say that this Warriors run is just done. Just it's over. And people were worrying that also coincided with a stretch where Stephen Curry wasn't hitting that many of his shots. And they hadn't lost consecutive games since almost two years earlier in April of 2015. Was that something, I know you're a pretty confident guy, Andy, was that something that you weren't too worried about and you thought that people were making too much of? Or was that a legitimate scare until they righted themselves? <laughs> that that one, so usually for, I, I've been a fan probably my, my whole life. Um, and there hit a point when I first started covering the team that it was harder to, to watch this team as a full-fledged fan. You know, like when you're rooting for your favorite team, like the Clippers, for you guys or whoever it may be, right? You're, you're, when something happens, you kind of have a short-term reaction span to it. So, like, yeah. uh, like you know, if, if Chris Paul makes his play or if Blake Griffin doesn't hit a free throw here or something, you're like, oh, my God, this team should trade Blake Griffin away for two wings so they can play, you know, pick yeah. up all day. It's the irrational, yeah, the irrational side of being a fan that journalists try to get rid of. But so I got there. rid of that. Yeah, I got rid of that when I tried to become a writer um, after college. So a couple of years ago, I got rid of that and kind of fell in line with what, you know, most media journalists try to do is like get unbiased. Right. They try take things from a long term perspective. Right? right. How like coach like like her. How would he take that, you know, run? Uh, I can tell you that he enjoyed it. Like I mean, he didn't enjoy it, but there was a reason why like he wasn't that worried. And it's, he saw the big picture, right? Exactly. Exactly. He saw the big picture and players don't. And that's the thing. So last year, the players were not happy um, with, you know, Kerr wanting to, to bench the team and, and rest them and not wearing, not going for 73, right? Kerr relented and they ended up going for 73 and they got it. And what happened? They lost in the NBA finals um, running out of gas. Well, maybe they lost. Maybe it wasn't the rest, whatever it may be. But for Kerr, it, this didn't matter. And so for myself, I, I take it from the perspective of, yes, I like I was confident about it. But the second part is, I mean, you look at the schedule, you look at what they were going through. You look at, you know, Kevin Durant had just gone down and these guys were really like, you know, shook up about that. And they had to adjust in a certain way. And then in that adjustment period, adjusting back to who Steph is, Steph couldn't hit a shot. Like w- the worst slump of his entire career, at least from what I've seen. Clay was going through a slump as well. Draymond Green hasn't shot the ball well all year and still isn't. Right. Um, so they had a lot of issues on that. End, and then they ended up going two and five. And then they played, what, eight games in 13 nights. So since then, obviously, they've been great. They've also played a ton of trash teams. And the schedule is going to get better from here. They, they got six or seven at home to end the season. Durant's now back. And 
you know, if, if there was a finals game today, he'd be playing. Um, but he'll be back in a week and a half, two weeks. And so so the team is fine again. And so that's why I was never too worried about it because everything was going to calm down after that initial stretch. I would say it's a little more concerning on someone else's side, like the Cavs, who've been 19 and 19 in the past you know, 38 games. So, But that's a little bit different, right? So on the Warriors, it's more of these guys are expected to win 65, 70, 75 games. That's why it looks worse. Obviously, biggest move of the offseason, adding Kevin Durant. Are there any areas that you can point to where you think the Warriors actually took a step back from last season? I know people have been saying this season maybe their interior defense and rebounding isn't as good. They definitely lost a lot of depth, losing guys like Barnes, Spates, Bogut, Azili, Barbosa, the list goes on. Though you've had a lot of role players stepping up lately. What do you think about that? So the role players part, David West has been great. He's been their best center. He played 30 minutes yesterday, and he had a corner three to steal the shot. I don't know what went on there. That was that was great. Um, but the bench has been better, I think, if not better the same as last year. What's crazy is that you know they lost depth is what most people would say, but really they retained that amount. If not, it's been better. If you go back and watch what happened in the postseason, Leandro Barbosa, Maurice Spates, um, Andrew Bogut, most of those guys, Fessis Azili, most of those guys were unplayable when the games actually mattered. They got destroyed off the court in, against OKC and Cleveland. Um, and even earlier than that, when those guys were on the floor. So this wasn't something where the bench carried them anywhere. The bench was bad. So they, got, they went ahead and infused someone like D. West, who was better than any center that they have before. Zaza's obviously been pretty mediocre. But then they've got Iguodala back again. Livingston's not been so good. Um, and then you've got someone like Matt Barnes, McCall. Those guys are all, you know, pretty mediocre guys, but about the same in, in terms of what they've had before. So I'd say the depth is good. So in terms of adding someone like KD, um, that only ups the level of the starters as long as they can keep it afloat. Now, in terms of the weakness that I've seen so far, believe it or not, it's crunch time decision making. They don't know what they're doing when the games are close. A uh, uh, few times that it's been close this year, right? And it's led to... Draymond Green yelling at Durant, why why are you shooting why are you shooting a pull-up three on Zach Randolph? Like anybody can drive by him. So it's turning to that. They look bad in crunch time because no like they don't know whether they're on a pick and roll, a pick and pop. Katie, do you sit in the corner or do you set a screen? He doesn't know how to set screens. So that type of thing. And it's actually cost them a couple games so far. And they've truly looked bad uh when the games are close. So that'll be interesting to watch in the playoffs. I don't think that. Most games are close if they can play well, but it will happen in the playoffs. You know, once or twice, they'll have that moment where they look at each other and they're like, oh, shit. we're down, you know, five with a minute left. What are we going to do here? You know? Yeah. And I, I think it's not talked about as much as last season because the record isn't historic, but Golden State has been dominant, as you referred to before. They're, in terms of offensive and defensive rating, they're number one in offense, number two barely in defense this season, even with that rush stretch that they went through. How did they integrate Durant on both sides of the ball so smoothly and make up for all the uh, losses that you spoke about in your previous answer? You know, it's funny because he has been integrated smoothly, but at the same time, there's a peak level, I think, that the Warriors can get to. I think they got there last year with Steph being who he was, and I don't think he'll ever get there again. That was ridiculous. Like like Russell Westbrook, you're watching him this year. Like He'll never get here again. Like This is a ridiculous level that he's playing at, right? So there's a level where the Warriors can get with KD on their team. 
I don't think they're anywhere close to that. Like there may be 60, 70% maybe um, to getting to that peak level range. So while they've integrated him well, they're still not as good as they should be, right? You would think with someone like him. The defense has been great, uh, has been fine with him as a rim protector. But really, they got him. One of the things that the Warriors wanted was him to pick up the bench unit. But with Kevin Durant with the bench without Steph Curry, they're only plus five overall, something like that. So they're only treading water or, or playing about even. Um, when that happens, and you'd expect a lot more from a Kevin Durant-led bench unit, right? Especially if you're going against other teams' uh, second second units. So there's a part of it where the Warriors aren't as good as they should be, and now there's the other part of where does that really matter? Like even if the Warriors hit 70% of who they should be with KD, honestly, they should probably still win the title this year at next, right? So that's the crazy part. Like one day, like the Miami Heat. Or whoever those championship teams like, they'll have the chemistry. One day they'll hit that level, and when they do, they'll probably win a title. Then, what's ridiculous is that they probably should win a title now, despite not hitting that level. So that's probably the scariest part for the rest of the league. Steve Kerr is pretty much always diplomatic and thoughtful with his public responses. But what do you make of the way he's responded to Adam Silver's memo regarding resting players? And how do you think, if at all, it affects how he coaches and makes lineup decisions the remainder of the season? I think Kerr is the best, or I think he's the best, if one of the second best in the league in terms of managing minutes. I think him and Popovich are the are the greatest at that. Like if you look at the numbers, Steph and Clay and Dre, those guys average about 33, 34 minutes a game only, and this has been going on for the last two and a half years. He really just plays 10, 11 guys, no matter what. And he doesn't like to overexert his players. You're looking at someone like LeBron, Westbrook, Harden. They've played 40-plus minutes, you know, four to 10 times this year already. So this is a team that doesn't like overexerting their guys. But here's the other thing. They also don't like to rest. Kerr, if he had a choice, would love to, but the players will not allow that. And some of the coaching staff also would like these players to remain in rhythm as well. Someone like Iguodala, West, uh, especially Draymond. Draymond, Curry, those guys play off rhythm, playing several times a week, right? Playing back-to-backs, playing that 30, 35 minutes a game. They just don't like sitting. That starts from the top down, obviously. If Steph Curry started voluntarily sitting, I best believe that the rest of the team would as well. But he doesn't want to. So that's one of the things where I doubt that the Warriors rest their players like the way they did against the Spurs for the rest of the season. They're not going to sit all three guys. They'll sit one guy here and there. They do the thing where they sit Clay one game, then maybe they'll sit Draymond or, or sit KD, but they're not going to sit all these guys together moving forward, and they're going to remain in the 30-minute range uh, as well. So, And Kerr is a guy that, that does that um, very, very well in the past couple of years. And he's also one of the people that is, like you said, diplomatic about what he says. So he'll never attack the league office. He'll never attack anyone. He would just kind of make a statement by saying something really fair or just through his actions. Um, and he is probably one of the smarter guys in the league. Yeah. Andre Iguodala, as you mentioned earlier, maybe it's because of a recent inve- injection. But regardless, <laughs> he's been playing really well lately. His role has expanded since Durant was sidelined. When Durant comes back, how do you think Iggy's responsibilities are going to change? And also, if you could reference his statements recently about do what master says if you think that that's been blown out of proportion 
or um, if there's an important statement there that we should be discussing? In terms of if he meant it, no. Um, there's a relationship there between Iguodala and the coaching staff and the rest of those guys. And he didn't mean it in a way that was undermining the coach. I do think this team does like to troll <laughs> from the perspective of they just like to say things to get a reaction from people. But there is some underlying, not concern, but there is some underlying tension, I guess you could say, from players that want to do things their way and Kerr wanting to do things his way, right? And I think that's pretty normal across all teams. So you'd hear some journalists, you know, maybe saying that this is a bad thing. And then you'd hear other media members saying that this is pretty normal. And I think that that stems from the fact that some media members have covered, you know, the Lakers, Showtime Lakers, the Celtics, right? And some have only covered the Warriors. So maybe they haven't seen it before. So I don't know. Like for me, I've only ever covered this team, right? But I do think that Steve Kerr is a little bit too stubborn. He wants to win. He wants to not only win, but he wants to win doing it his way, doing it his style. There's a reason, as all Warriors fans know, he doesn't run enough Steph Curry pick and rolls, right? He wants to get everyone involved and sometimes to the detriment of Steph Curry. Because, I mean, if you're a coach or if you're a player, why do you care what Ian Clark wants to do? Uh, get the ball to Steph Curry and have him cook. But Steve Kerr, who's a role player, understands that you've got to get the other players involved or else they're going to check out. They're not going to be in rhythm. So that it's it's a really hard like middle ground that he has to walk, I think. And maybe me thinking this is just hoping is that the Warriors are going to run way more pick and rolls, way more isolations for Kevin Durant in the, in the postseason. Because, that, you know, that, that type of backdoor, that type of off-screen stuff in the postseason when teams are scouting. And you guys saw that like against Oklahoma City and Cleveland, even the Portland. You guys saw that when teams are scouting it, that stuff is gone. Like at least 60, 70, 80% of that is gone. And you've got to figure out a way to get baskets. And I mean, that might not matter, honestly. Like you might not need to run pick and rolls because if you need a basket, why don't you just give it to the <laughs> the, the seven foot guy who can shoot threes, right? And dribble by into the rim. So I guess they got that. I mean, that's not a bad option. So, so at the end of the day, there are some arguments there. There's some underlying tension, but I mean, that's, that's what basketball is, right? You've got like, you know, you've got like 20 dudes there with an ego. That's what happens. So um, I think that's normal, but there, there is a part of it where, you know, the players do want to do something one way and, and Kerr doesn't. And another player who's known for controversy, Matt Barnes, he's been added to the fold. He was signed shortly after the extent of Durant's injury became known by the Warriors front office. And also shacked in a full mainstay, JaVale McGee, there with the Warriors. How do these guys fit on the team? They both seem to have been pariahs elsewhere, but they really seem to mesh well with Golden State. I think, yeah, I think Matt Barnes was a good pickup. I think that was, um, I don't know, I can't speak to him as a person, right? That's He's probably not the greatest dude ever. Um, but yeah, I mean, at the time, that was a good pickup. and kind of speaks to the fact that these guys had too many centers to begin with. They probably should have never, you know, had uh, someone like Verja on the team to start a season, right? I, I think that maybe he wouldn't have if Elliot Williams would have been healthy. And I think that, like, McAdoo probably shouldn't be on the team as well. They've just invested so much, so many resources there to kind of try to get him good that now that's the case, that he's just on the team. So I think any wing player, any average wing player is a good fit, and Matt Barnes absolutely gets there. Also, obviously, it's a fan favorite, though I will say this. When he was first introduced, 
at Oracle it's the first time since he was signed. It wasn't, you know, there's a small setting ovation, but not as much as I expected, which I guess speaks to the fact that, you know, the Oracle crowd is a little bit different now for what it used to be. And then and then we're talking about JaVale, who's who's had a good season, but I, I, I hesitate to go all crazy on it because he has been uh, you know, he does play really bad. He's either really bad or really good from game to game. And, you know, you can't really rely on him for anything. It's more of a, hey, Zaza's not playing well. The, you know, the other team is too athletic. Um, mm-hmm. And David West can't play more than 20 minutes. So we'll throw JaVale in there and pray. Um, and sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Yesterday uh, against the Spurs, it didn't. Uh, the night before against the Rockets, it did. So you just never know. And that's what makes the, you know, for the Warriors, that type of, uh, how do they call it, culture, I guess, is what they want to uh, uh, to cultivate, right? So uh, some of it works, some of it doesn't. For those two guys, I guess so far it has. Does any team scare you? Cleveland's not looking good now. Lost again tonight to the Bulls, though we know not to count them out. The Spurs are always in there. The Rockets can get hot. But we've seen the Warriors shut down their shooting multiple times. Anyone else to consider? LeBron James. That's about it. Concern. Even though the Cavs aren't playing well right now, that's that's the only person. Um, if if for some reason the Cavs don't get there, uh, it's that's uh, can you win a series in two games? Because what are we doing with the Celtics and the Wizards or the Raptors, whoever's going to be there? That's going to be a complete joke. Honestly, it would be kind of disappointing to see if it wasn't LeBron because that that's got to be it, right? That's got to be the team that that's who they got Durant for. They've done this whole thing where they lost, they came back, you know, they lost the 3-1 lead, all of this. And it was for LeBron. It was to beat him. So it would be a little bit depressing if he wasn't there. Um, In terms of matching up with the West teams, that's fun because I think that the Jazz are going to be there uh, next year or the year after. I think they're going to be the one that challenges the Warriors because I think they're the ones that replicate the Grizzlies style the most while adding a little bit more firepower. The Grizzlies had a 2-1 lead over them a couple of years ago. Um, they're able to bang. They're able to hurt the Warriors. You've got Draymond, who's able to bang, but on, like KD, you got down there, he doesn't want to bang too much. He still wants to step out a little bit and, and shoot threes and, and kind of defend on the outside and not you know box out and that type of thing, right? That type of dirty work. So the Jazz will give them trouble. I think not this year, though, but maybe next in the year after. You've got the Rockets who want to shoot threes with the Warriors, which is not happening. So that's that's an easy win. That's the type of team that the Warriors love playing. And then you've got the Clippers who... Uh, the Warriors have owned uh, the cap- last couple of years. And then you've got the Spurs, which is, you know, obviously the the big boogeyman for the Warriors, who still haven't beat them in a playoff series. Let's not forget that, despite, you know, a whole different team around now and a championship. They still haven't beat them. You know, they haven't played them. But um, there's something there. You can you never know against someone like uh, Popovich in a series. Kerr got out coached by Lou. So maybe that, that series gets to six. Maybe Kawhi steals one. And then there's game seven. You never know what happens, that type of thing, right? But at the end of the day, it's probably just the Cavs, probably just LeBron that that would give these guys a scare. Just a quick follow-up. You said the threes aren't happening from the Rockets against the Warriors. And we saw that the last game, maybe Harden's a little bit banged up. But are you confident, even though the Rockets have been doing it all year and have such an electrifying offense, that the Warriors really don't need to worry that much about them? Yeah, well, I, I think there's a type of variance that the Rockets like to do where they like to just, if they shoot enough, you never know when they're going to get hot to outscore the other team, right? And they've got some defensive players, Ariza, Beverly, and Capella. They've got some guys that can play defense, but for 48 minutes, 
you want to match firepower with firepower against the Warriors, like with Clay, with Steph, and with KD, that's probably not advisable, just from a perspective that it just doesn't make sense. And then you got the Warriors who has the personnel to like, so they can't outshoot the Warriors. The Warriors have the personnel to defend them. Where are the Rockets going to win a game, or at least like you know win a couple games, right? Where does it come from? You think that okay, their trump card comes with James Harden, but the Warriors have about four to five wings that are able to handle them at one time and double them and switch things like that, right? So that makes it tough as well. Like the Warriors live to play guys like James Harden, or like to play teams like the Rockets because they just allow the Warriors to run. And if you allow the Warriors to run, that's when you're usually screwed. Um, like I can see a game where the Rockets win like 132 to 128, right? Like that type of game. But how many times are they going to win that in seven games against, you know, some of the greatest shooters, not like of this season, but like of all time. So that, that makes it tough. What about in the first round? What matchup do you think would be the most entertaining to watch? And also if there's any one team that could slow them down the most, uh, slow, slowing them down. I don't think any, Unless Memphis drops to eight, that would be fun. But entertaining would be Portland. Because Portland's like the same as Houston, where they just don't play any defense and run up and down. And they now they've got Nurkic in the middle who can finish. Like That makes it a lot of fun, where you'll see a lot of games where it's the same thing with the Rockets. It'll just be shootouts. And the Warriors go into this mode where sometimes they're in shootouts and they just don't want to play defense, right? And everything gets sloppy. So... When that happens, they let the Blazers back in the game or they let the Rockets back in the game, and that'll make it a fun series. So that that type of series, like, I would love to watch them play the Blazers in round one and then, you know, the Rockets and then the Spurs or whatever it may be, right? If you're a Warriors fan, you kind of think of it from a perspective, well, okay, we'll win this series by five games. You know, you'll have a lot of fun watching it. God, there's no banging, right? There's no toughness in the middle. It's basically just shooting threes all day, getting to the rim. And then you can coast past in four or five games, and then you're in the Western Conference Finals without, you know, without feeling anything. Um, so the worst case scenario, if there is one, is probably them playing Memphis and then Utah and the Spurs. Now you've been against two big teams, and then you've got the Spurs, and then now you got to finish off the Cavs or something like that. So that's probably worst case. Definitely would be pretty bold if someone predicted one of those teams to upset the Warriors, but a little bit of an intriguing storyline, having a rematch potentially with the Blazers who they met up with in the Western Conference semifinals last year, or the up-tempo Nuggets, possibly. I want to ask you about Draymond Green. I think that he's always underappreciated to a certain extent on the court, but most would agree there's more of an opportunity now that Durant is on the team, that three-point shooting seven-footer that you alluded to earlier. How overlooked is Draymond Green? Does that still happen in your experience? I think so. Yeah, I, I think Draymond. I think Draymond's underrated. Um, I think <laughs> it's funny. I, I, I say some ridiculous stuff. I think the Warriors are underrated. Uh, honestly, <laughs> from the perspective, <laughs> we might have to uh, use that as a title. <laughs> yeah, that actually that'd be a good one. Shut off um, your your mentions, though. Close the DMs. <laughs> yes, I'm ready for that. Yeah, that'd be a great title. I, I do. I think they're underrated. I think people just don't understand how great this team's defense is. And just how great Steph Curry is, right? Um, because they think he's just a guy that can shoot threes. And, and they're like, hey, he scored 24 points this game and had eight assists in 30 minutes. Like, that's not superstar numbers. Like, Lou Williams puts up those numbers. Or, or whoever puts up those numbers, right? I don't necessarily understand the type of attention this guy, you know, 
uh, gets on the court. The moment he's off the court, there's a reason why he has the best plus minus this year off of any player by far. Teams throw two, three guys at him and scrubs get layups. Like if I was on the court, I would get or well, me being like Zaza Pachulia is out here getting wide open layups, right? All he has to do is run down the court. Like that type of thing makes Steph Curry, despite the fact that he's actually not having, you know, he's having a down season, right? That's fair. Um, but he's still one of those best players, and people don't really understand that. They kind of just say, like, hey, he's just a three-point shooter. When it's not going down, you know, what is he really doing? So that's the type of thing that I think it makes this team underrated, and they don't understand that this team also plays defense because it's hard to gauge defense. Nobody cares about defense. Nobody wants to break down defense. But you're watching Draymond Green, and he's, you know, the smartest defensive player in the league. And, and you've got Andre Iguodala, who actually, actually, now that I take that back, he might be smarter than Draymond on the defensive end, right? Uh, right up there with LeBron, someone like LeBron James, Kawhi. Um, they've got two of those guys on the same team. And then you've got Kevin Durant now protecting the rim. And people immediately think that if you don't have a seven-footer, like, okay, you're, you're not very good on defense, right? That's not how it works. So I think from that aspect, this team is underrated. I think from the aspect that Draymond Green is as well, because a lot of the news stuff that Draymond Green goes through is off the court, right? It's why, you know, what's he doing off the court? He slapped someone. There's a dick pic. Um, <laughs> you know, he got his mom is spouting off on Twitter again. Um, and then on the court, he's busy getting technicals and, and that type of thing. I bet you if he was able to shoot better from three or he averaged like 10 or 15 points a game, he'd get more notoriety on defense because that's just how people view things. But the, he doesn't score. So he doesn't score. You know, he passes. He's a great passer. But there's just not enough on any of the side for people to recognize that, hey, honestly, like he's probably top three rim protector in the league uh, that we've got. Top three, top five. Right. And he's the anchor when they play the small ball team. And I don't think a lot of people, you know, really understand that because he's kind of a hateable dude. <laughs> and I'm sure if you're a Clippers fan, you kind of get it, too. Like he's kind of a hateable dude. So yeah, that kind of he's a guy you want on your team, but I don't know about to play him. <laughs> Exactly. So, so that 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 to me makes them underrated and kind of he anybody that plays good defense is hard to understand how great they are. I, I think is is what I'm trying to say. You just made reference to Stephen Curry having a bit of a down season this year. I think maybe that's only in comparison to uh, last season when he won the uh, unanimous MVP and the previous season when he won MVP as well. He has gone through a few shooting slumps this season. We talked about the one right when Durant got injured. I think earlier on in the season, he was struggling with his three-point shot as well. Is there something in how he's being utilized differently on this team that's causing that? And is that something you expect to continue for much longer? Or do you always have confidence in Curry? Personally, I do. I always do whatever he shot. I don't think I've ever seen him take a bad shot just from the perspective of I don't care what he shoots because I always think it's going in. But I do think he was misutilized in the beginning of the season. I think there was a part of it where they wanted to integrate KD so much that they didn't understand uh, that the Warriors function best with Steph Curry when Steph Curry functions best. Kevin Durant, when he plays well, he's not attracting attention. He's just playing well. And, like, that's great. Like, he's an MVP. Let's not like I'm not trying to say that, you know, he's just a guy. Right. When he drops 50 or he drops 25, like on 10 shots, he's not like you can you watch him. He's not being double teamed and he's not attracting attention. He's just getting his buckets. Like there's just nothing a guy can do. So it's different when it's Steph Curry getting those shots because he's dribbling around so much. He's got such a great handle that he's attracting like two, three guys at him. 
And he's making those type of threes where you've got to sell out on them because they're just so like backbreaking. So it's different. When Steph Curry gets going, the Warriors are pretty much unstoppable, right? And when KD gets going, uh, a lot of the times they're kind of going back and forth and they're like, okay, should Steph shoot this? You know, maybe Steph de- standing in the corner out of rhythm. And Steph's one of those guys that needs to be in rhythm. KD isn't. Get on the court, he's nailing threes. Same with Clay, right? Those guys don't need to be in rhythm. But a guy like Steph, he needs to have the ball in his hands. He needs to be able to touch it and 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 shoot it. And if he's not getting the ball for a couple minutes, he, he's going to be cold, regardless of how he's shooting. So that's what's going on in the beginning of the season. I think they figure it out. Or Well, actually, they've had no point, no choice in the last two weeks but to give him the ball. So he's got back in the rhythm a little bit. He's going through the worst shooting slumps that I've ever seen from him. I think that's just a little bit of uh, rhythm. Started late to the season. He was injured last year. A little bit of that. But a little bit of just he's not as good as he was last season anymore. And I don't think he'll get there again. So um, that may be a sad thing to think about. But, hey, I mean, last season was ridiculous, right? 30 points on 46% from three. Like, that type of thing is just not sustainable, even for him. So... Um, he's still good, 40%. I think he'll get it back around. And that's the career low. I think he'll st- his career is like 42, 43. So this is probably just a down year for him. You know, next year he'll probably get back up to 43. But again, he, he's got the type of swag back where he's kind of dancing around carelessly, like just dribbling the ball around and shooting those fadeaway threes, even though he's not making them. They're back. Um, and as long as they've got that, it's going to be interesting to see when Katie comes back if they're still going to allow him to do that. Or they're going to go right back into the phase where, you know, they get Katie the ball, they get Steph to stand around code. So that's going to be fun to see what happens. And uh, I guess less so fun if it doesn't work. Yeah, I mean, his career low is still like outrageously good for a normal human, I think, or a normal NBA player. And as you alluded to, they were trying to experiment in different ways to play with him and Durant both on the floor I think by the midseason they did figure out that they're most efficient when Curry is still the primary ball hander in a very similar role as he played last season and then Durant plays almost as like a supercharged version of Barnes coming off screens and rather than just having it be like your turn my turn type of stuff which we saw a little bit in the beginning of the season Uh, I wanted to ask about two role players that have gotten a lot more minutes in the last month, somewhat out of necessity with Durant's injury. First, the rookie, Patrick McCaw. He's progressively logged more minutes each month from January to March. What have you seen from him to earn that confidence from Kerr? And also Ian Clark. He was on the team last season. He's a shooter, coming up with big games a lot this season, hitting 40% from three. Yeah, those are those those guys are kind of interchangeable too. Not interchangeable, but like if one guy plays, the other won't. Like McCaw didn't play against the Spurs. He got he didn't play the entire game, and and Clark was the one that played. Right, Ian Clark is really up and down, and McCaw is someone that's just not ready to play in the league yet. So McCaw is up and down in that his defense is really it's really bad when he's not playing well, and then when usually when he's playing well, it just means that he's hitting shots. Um, and then when he's hitting shot, his defense gets gets a little bit better. I mean, uh, he drives a little bit harder, I guess. So it, you know, it's kind of mediocre. You know, he's the type of player that if the Warriors get him off the bench and he scores ten points in a game, they win. Or like he gets hot, they win. Like if he's having a good game off the bench, they they usually win because for this team, their starters are usually going to be a plus, uh, a huge plus. 
And if he can be able to score off the bench, uh, not even 10 points, I'm talking about like six or seven. If they can, the bench can keep him afloat, that's all they need. Clark is going to be fun to watch in the offseason because he'll be uh, a free agent and he'll be getting a nice little contract and we'll see from who. Um, so that's awesome. I, I don't know how well he'll succeed anywhere else because he's kind of in the perfect place here. But we'll see. With McCall, it's more interesting because um, he's a rookie, right? He's got the talent. He's got the uh, potential. He's got the defensive potential. Just a you know, easy comparison. He's probably someone like Sean Livingston, right? He doesn't have that back-to-the-basket game. But in terms of ball handling, it's there. In terms of the long arms, the defensive prowess to where he can, you know, switch over to different people. He's got that as well, switching from one, two, and three. The only problem right now is he just doesn't want to shoot the ball. Like whenever he gets the ball wide open, he's pump faking, he's dribbling in, he's passing back to someone that's defended, right? He just doesn't want the ball right now. So he's not ready for NBA hoops, but I think he'll get there one day. I think he'll actually be a very good uh, starter. Like he'll be... Uh, someone like a like what Harrison Barnes was for the Warriors, a very, very, very good NBA starter. I think he'll get there, just maybe not this year. And I think they're grooming him to become the replacement for Livingston because they'll need to because they'll lose Livingston likely this year. I think they'll lose Iguodala. I'm not sure. So they'll need him. They'll need him to step up and he'll be playing something along the lines of 20 minutes, 20 plus minutes a game off the bench next year. And he's got the tools to become that type of player. Andy, it's always a pleasure to have you on the pod. Thank you for gracing us with your presence. I know I personally am not always the uh, most popular person around in the Warriors these days, but always can count on you to give us a good show. <laughs> Absolutely. Hey guys, thanks for having me on, man.